You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Well, good morning. Before we begin, let's pray. Lord God, this day is really about you and your passion, your vision, your dreams, your desires for your people, what you want to see happen both here and across this world, Lord, right now. How you began to work through your son, Jesus Christ, Lord God. Well, you began from the day you created, but that you continue to work, Lord, through your son, Jesus Christ, by his spirit, through the church and through us. And we are about that. We thank you, Lord, we are not alone. There are many wonderful churches in this community serving you, glorifying you, reaching out in service, up in worship, and in in fellowship and love. And we pray, Lord, you would do the same here. Bless all, Lord, uh, this day and create a movement, Lord, a worldwide movement, a kingdom movement right now because we so desperately need you. Every headline screams our needs for you, Lord, your peace, your reconciliation, your good news. And we pray that happens both here and everywhere. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, our text today, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, okay, verses 14 through 21. And as such, that's going to be kind of the basis of what I believe is our vision and our mission. You can kind of look at all of this stuff if you go to the Bible Version app. It's all kind of listed there. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 to 21. So I'll read it for us right now. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come." All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All right, so there's really two questions. Peter Drucker, a leadership expert, said two questions every organization needs to answer, okay? And they may seem really business-like, and in fact they are in a sense, but I think they fit for us as a church and for every organization. The first question is this, what is your business? It seems kind of obvious, but that is still a question. The second one is like it, how is business? Now, you can change that word business to ministry or mission or whatever you want, but I think it tries to get you to focus on what are we really here for? Why are we here? Now, we answer that here at Thrive with our mission statement. This is kind of, you know, 
a mission statement that I hope you just recognize pretty soon and pretty fully at some point, but it's simply this. Thrive Community Church exists to bless and disciple people so they thrive in their relationship with Jesus Christ and others, creating Christian community. So the verbs kind of say it there. We are here to bless and disciple, okay? Bless and disciple. What does that mean? I mean, those are num- wonderful, like, churchy terms. I think it's this. Thrive is in the life change business, okay? We're in the life change business. Now, that might come as a shock to you because most churches, I don't think, think they are in the life change business. There's a lot of churches that are actually thinking they're in the worship business, and so their whole focus is on trying to create the most spectacular, emotionally impactful, down to the second worship service and attract a crowd to it. Now, they can also do, be in the worship business if they think it's in an austere, cathedral-like setting with a very liturgical service and everything's mystical and mysterious behind it, but that's what they think they're in. Other churches think they're in the program business and they throw up a calendar and if you're a youth, a child, an adult, married, single, yada, 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 and they are scheduled to death and they are really in the busyness business, keeping you so busy and having so many things going on that, you know, they're really about goods and services and everybody is a Christian consumer and that's the business they're in. Still others think they are in the church respite program and that church becomes a fortress against change and struggle and a comfortable place to come to so that at least here I'm safe from all the challenges and the struggles and the chaos of society. Now, I'm not trying to disparage any of those, but here's the problem I see that I've, hey, and I've pastored some of these churches that thought they were in this business, that their culture was that way. A, a church out in California that was 100 years old and a church, um, a, well, I even thought that, okay? I've thought that many times that that's the business we're in. We're here to worship or we're here to program everybody or we're here to, you know, gather a crowd, or we're here this, that, or the other thing, but we are in really the life change business. If we focus on worship, if we focus on, you know, the programs, if we focus on not, you know, keeping everybody comfortable, whatever we are, we will lose the main thing that is the main thing. Because those are all strategies, but they're not the goal. They're all avenues, but they are not the destination. We're in the life change business. Now, you might be going like, where does he get that from? I think we're going to get that from Jesus. This is what we see right at the beginning of um, Jesus' ministry, his public ministry. In the book of Matthew, chapter 14, this is what happened. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Do you get the picture? Follow me, he said. Live with me, be with me, be my disciple, get to know me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus had an agenda here, and he didn't say, grasp these concepts. He didn't say, hey, spend an hour here and there with me. He didn't say, um, believe these truths, 
He said, follow me and I will make you. He has an agenda. So it's not simply that follow me, be with me. He also sends them out. He goes that step further. I'm going to make you something you currently are not. I'm going to change your life. You're going to be from fishers of fish to fishers of men, of people. And they dropped their nets and their lives changed. Later on in the Gospel of Mark, so the next events happen, he has gathered some of these people to live with them and be with them. And in the Gospel of Mark then, it says in chapter 3, he went up to the mountain and he called to him those who he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, that word means sent ones, so that they might be with him. And he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Get the intimate relationship he has with them. So he says, I want you to be with me. And then I'm going to send you out. We talked about this, I think, last week or the week before, that there's a centrifugal and centripetal force that goes on in the Christian life. God calls us radically in and sends us radically out. We are a sent people. And that's what he's doing here. And all of this changes their life dramatically. That's what's really going on. In the Gospel of Luke, we get kind of this little additional insight that he was up all night in Luke chapter 6, 12 to 13. Jesus was up all night on the mountain praying. In those days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night, he continued to pray to God. And the next day, he appoints them. It was so important that Jesus spent the entire night praying over the individuals he would call radically in and send radically out as his disciples. And it was all about life change. Yes. So we've come to understand discipleship here, that's the word that we use in our mission statement, really means this, okay? That disciples are those who follow Jesus, who then do what Jesus did and teach what Jesus taught for the reasons that Jesus didn't taught those things. That's what the disciples did throughout the book of Acts and the rest of their lives. They proclaimed and they taught what Jesus had taught. They did what Jesus did. They served and they did it for the reasons he did it. Our text of 2 Corinthians 5 says, For the love of Christ compels or controls us. That's why we're doing this. And later on, we see what life change is all about in 2 Corinthians 5 where he says, everyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. A change has taken place. Now, it's even taken place before you realized it. And this is what I've said before a number of times. It's not that the change has taken place inside of me to start with, but it's a change that took place, a death to life situation that God has brought about outside of me and then brought it to me. It's happened already, as it says in the next verse. All this is from God who in Christ, through Christ, reconciled us to him since. Do you get all This is from God. All means all here. Oh, it's just a wonderful gospel word. All this is from God. What good news. A change has taken place. All this is from God. It doesn't depend on me. God did this, reconciling us to himself. He did this. It's all a gift. He didn't have to do it. In fact, he probably shouldn't have needed to do it. By all rights, 
by all rules, by all laws, he could have easily just said, forget about it. I'm going to start with a whole new universe, and they're going to get it straight this time. But, nevertheless, yet. Those are the words, and again and again in the New Testament, that says, this is what God does instead, because of love. Nevertheless, he forgives, but he loves, yet he will not allow anything to separate us from him. In Romans 5, it states it this way, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So you've got peace with God. It is a gift given to you from God so that there is no alienation, no hostility, no feelings of hmm, questioning in your relationship to him. He looks at you, he smiles at you, he blesses you, he wants you, he accepts you. You have peace with God. You can't get better news than this. All this is from God. You see, if it all, at all, a little teeny, just, you know, an iota depended on you. If it was 99% God, but 1% you, I don't think Paul would have used the word all. This is from God. And if it did, then you always had to worry about that 1%. Did I try hard enough? Did I want it enough? Did I repent good enough? Am I good enough? Am I in or out? Because my 1% ain't so good all the time. But all this is from God. So he offers you everything. He gives you all. He changes our status that I am reconciled. I am a new creation. I am righteous. I am loved. I am forgiven. I am gifted. I am holy. I am wanted. I am chosen. I am accepted. I am renewed. I am cleansed. I am healed. I am his. And so... I can receive that gift every day, and then I can love, I can forgive, I can choose, I can serve, I can reconcile. So a disciple does what Jesus did and teaches what Jesus taught for the reasons Jesus did and taught those things. Get it? That's why in 2 Corinthians, actually, our passage, if you could kind of read through 2 Corinthians 5, and you find that there's actually three no-longers. It's kind of the before and after that happened. There are three no-longers that are now true. Now, in our English, it doesn't quite use, it uses the word no longer once in the ESV, the translation we've got here today. But there are three things that he says, it was this way, but now it's this way. So the first is, no longer do we live for ourselves. The second is, no longer do we look at people from a human point of view. And the third is, no longer do we count sins against people. We're going to go through those one at a time. First, no longer do we live for ourselves. Now, that is a huge change. You know, all the pundits, all the politicians, all the advertisers, they all promote this idea that it's really all about you, and you really are only living for yourself. But Paul says that life is over, dead, and gone. In 2 Corinthians 5, 14, one has died for all, therefore all have died. 
that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sakes died and was raised. You have a whole different mission, a whole different life, a whole different direction now. That's the life change that we see. We have a God who lived and died and rose again for us. So I don't have to look out for my reputation. I already have the greatest name placed upon me. I don't have to try to get ahead. I already have the gift of eternal life and the honor of being the child of a king. I don't have to find a future and find security. I already have been told and been promised that nothing will separate me from the love of God in Jesus Christ. I don't have to live for myself. I can live for others, for greater purposes that transcend just my own personal survival needs or desires or wants. No longer do we live for ourselves. Secondly, we no longer look at people from a human point of view. Now our text talks about seeing people in the flesh, but that's really from our human perspective. And basically, Paul is saying, we don't see people just as the sum total of what they've done, what they have been, what they think, and what they can do. And especially, we don't look at somebody and say, what's in it? What can you do for me? Now, this world, that's the way most people see. Our culture is filled with what's in it for me-ness in our transactional relationships. And we look at each other and say, hey, what can I get out of him? You know, how to win friends and influence people for the sake of getting something from. But that's not how we no longer look that way. And we don't see people the way they are. We see people the way God has chosen for them to be. We see the future he has for them. Now, the playwright Oscar Wilde put it well. Very simple, but every saint has a past, he said, and every sinner has a future. You know, I love that. That's who we are. You have a future. So you look at people, and you no longer look at them as to just what they are, but you see them, the new creation God is going to make them. Thirdly, no longer do we count sins against people. Now, you might go like, whoa, wait a minute. Isn't that, aren't we supposed to speak truth to power? Aren't we supposed to speak about what's right and wrong? And are you telling me that you're not? This is God's choice. I don't know if you realize this. So it says here in 2 Corinthians 5, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And then he's given us that message of reconciliation. So I no longer want to hold anybody's past record or present activity against them. I realize we're all broken and messed up people and I sin every day, but I'm not gonna hold it against you because God doesn't hold it against you. I'm not gonna count them up and keep a record and keep track and hold it against you. But instead, I'm gonna be about forgiveness. I'm going to be about reconciliation. I'm going to be about resolving conflicts. I'm going to be about peacemaking and peacekeeping. That's God's choice. And he chose that when it says at the end of 2 Corinthians 5.21, he took him, that is Jesus Christ, who knew no sin. He didn't even know what it was. He wasn't familiar with it. He'd never sinned. He took 
him and he made him become sin so that sin was Jesus' full identity and that that's all he was. And then when he made him sin, he took him to the place and did what God has always wanted to do with sin. He put it to death. He cursed it. He condemned it. He killed it. He finished it off. That's the cross. It's over. Your sins aren't counted against you. There's no accounting of all that anymore. Everyone who is in Christ is a new creation. And that life-changing, world-shaking, cosmic-creating grace means we're really in the life-change business. Now you might go like, well, hmm, I, you know, I get it, but you know, John, I am, I just, it is, there's so much change in this world. It's just been chaotic. I come to church. I need to hear. I want to find stability. I want to know that, and I just need a place where I know there's something rock solid that's not going to change. And I agree with you. I need it too. I need to know that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I need to know that God is faithful to every one of his promises, that he is not fickle, that he's not going to change his attitude or his perspective on us. I need to know that God's love in Christ is so strong and so full and so true that nothing will ever separate me from that. I need that, and yet I also know I need to change. I do. God doesn't, but I do. In the Middle Ages, maybe even before, there's a Latin phrase, probably Augustine started it, this guy in about 400-ish AD, uh, one of the church fathers. And it's uh, a Latin term, he said, that tells us what we're really like. And he says, without God's spirit, without anything, we're incurvatus in se. And that, um, that Latin phrase means we're curved in on ourselves. Everything's a self-focus. Everything references back to me. And usually what I project out about myself uh, to others is really about me and how I'm feeling about myself. And, you know, so I can, even what I project out of what I think about God is usually a reflection of me. Okay? So... The problem with it, it's like that funhouse mirror. Everything gets distorted, and I don't even see myself clearly. I don't see the world clearly. Everything is wrapped up in the bubble of me. I can't get outside of my own skin. I can't figure it out. And we just, if we don't focus on life change, if a church will not focus on life change or discipleship, what happens then is our default is everything then just becomes about me and how it's helping me or my family and my consumer needs, if they're spiritual needs of goods and services. And I have been, like I said, a pastor of churches where it seems like that was the culture because really we are so curved in on ourselves that most of our meetings and most of our agenda and most of our decisions are about what's in it for me. In modern American culture, we've even encouraged it so that it's really all about me. Self-focused to such an extent, people are becoming more and more narcissistic. We've seen it. We become takers and deal-makers and negotiators and pushers and organizations who are filled with people who say, what's in it for me? 
then devolve into that's all it is. It's just about, and I'm only there as long as I get something out of it. And what happens is those organizations, whether they're churches or anything else, just start to implode. Only when I can transcend what's in it for me and look out and seek first God's kingdom, his righteousness, and what's in it for God and what God wants of us to serve one another and serve others and pray for others, only then will we really thrive and be what we're supposed to be. Like I said, I've been a pastor for 29 years. Um, I've been a Christian for over 50 years. From what I know, I still need a change. Because too often I get up and I'm still thinking, what's in it for me? And we are in the life-changing business. So now the second question is, so um, how's business, right? So, that's why I love that video we had before. That's what I love about um, the home huddles that we've had. I have seen life change coming through relationships. That in fact, people are being changed just by how we are living life on life with others. How we can love and accept and serve and care and pray together and give, and then life change happens. That's why we've had the tagline, you belong. Because there's only, life change will only happen when you belong and are connected. And we want you to know that no matter where you're at or what you're believing or who you are, you belong here. You belong with us. And we're going to see what God does with us together. So how is this life change business going here at Thrive? Now, it's kind of a tough one because honestly, um, you can't necessarily determine that by just looking at your budget. You can't determine it by just simply looking at how good your worship attendance is or what's going on in all the things that you've programmed. It's really about the quality and depth of relationship with each other and with God. And thank God I've seen life change in many of you and you've changed my life too. It's been great, and I'm thrilled to see that I think we're on the, the verge, the cusp, the beginning of something great here. That's why we have those home huddles, because we see those occurring uh, where life change is happening, why we've had six huddles among the campus ministry, why we have Thrive FGCU, why we have Life Together, why we've served places like Habitat and our mother's home and others and Please sign up for Habitat. I don't want to be one of just a two or three that are going. We want a group serving together to learn to be about life change, changing someone else's life and changing our own as a result. Now, it's been a risk to start a church. It would have been a lot easier to just kind of have stayed up in Gainesville with my family. And there have been moments, I'm sure, my family has wanted to say, hey, why did you know? And there has been times as well where it's risky to do what we've been doing because we're not trying to just gather a crowd or have programs or attract people who already go to other churches, but they're bored there. We're trying to bring about life change. It's a lot harder to do, but boy, is it going to be worth it. And to take those next steps, we're going to talk about some of those steps at our congregational meeting after this. We'd love to have you there. It may not be comfortable, but it's going to be worth it. We're looking at 
going to two worship services on Sunday morning when the time is right because we want to make an impact in more people's lives and see more life change, to have more home huddles going on and a larger footprint serving here in Estero and beyond and becoming a church that reaches out beyond ourselves and is serving to plant other churches and helping other churches and praying for others and to become, in the end, an intergenerational, diverse church plant where what's holding us together is the love of God in Jesus Christ who has reconciled us all. Oh, um, is there going to be a church building in the future? Well, that's kind of the plan at some point, right? Will we have great programs? I hope so. Inspiring worship? Absolutely. But those are strategies. The goal? Life change. Why? As Paul said at the beginning of 2 Corinthians 5, for the love of Christ controls us, compels us, moves us. Maybe that love of Christ has been moving you today. And today is the day when the reality of 2 Corinthians 5, everyone who is in Christ, anyone who is in Christ, is a new creation comes true for you. Okay? This is your day to receive that gift of a new life. It's true for you. He has reconciled himself to you, and he wants you to receive that gift. Now, maybe you came to church and you realized your life is stuck. It's out of control. You've been overwhelmed. You realize other things are controlling you that shouldn't be. Whatever it is today, Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old passes away, the new comes. It's what we're hoping for everyone here, that that change happens, not just once, and not just once for all, but always for the sake of what God is doing. So let's pray together right now. Lord God, we thank you that while we were sinners, you died for us, that while we were lost, you found us, and that while we were alienated from you, you chose to reconcile yourself to us through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, becoming sin for us that we might be righteous and at peace and at one with you. We pray, Lord, that this ministry, as we are just on the verge of great things here, that that would be true for each of us today, that today, every one of us, in you, Jesus, is a new creation. The old passes away, the new comes. Make that our hope, our mission, our drive, that life change becomes our focus and our goal through all the other strategies and all the other things that we do that it's really all about what you want and what you're doing in this world. For those who came today, maybe, Lord, struggling and stuck, feeling out of control, we pray, Lord, bring this home to them. Help them receive the gift of new life and the change you have for them and the hope in the future. All this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.